0: this is Ann Robertson, the Executive Director of the Massachusetts Bible Society. This is the sermon from April 29th, and it was my first preaching gig after leaving the local church and in my new position. I was at the Wellspring United Methodist Church in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts, and fortunately they had someone there who was able to record the service and get that to me. Uh, So thank you to Jerry Barrier for taking care of that. Uh, The passage I didn't read scripture that was read by someone else and isn't recorded. Um, it's the story of Jesus walking on the water from the Gospel of Matthew in the 14th chapter, verses 22 through 33. So I won't read that for you now, but we'll invite you simply to go and look that up and read that story. I selected for this morning the story of Jesus walking on the water to talk about um, It's a story that occurs in three out of the four gospels, but it's only in Matthew's gospel that we have the additional part about Peter asking Jesus to call him and Peter's subsequent swimming lesson. Uh, Most of the sermons that I've heard on the passage about Jesus walking on the water, on this one from Matthew, have focused on Peter, who finds himself sinking into a stormy sea when he begins to doubt Jesus. But if we only focus on the moment that Peter sinks, I think we will have missed the most wonderful and promising part of the story. We can focus on Peter sinking if we want to, and there are things to be learned from that, but that's not the whole story. I want to encourage us to put failure aside for a minute and look at the promise. Peter walks on the water. He walks on the water just like Jesus walks on the water. Yeah, he sinks after a few steps, but for a brief moment, Peter walks on water. Peter shows incredible faith in getting out of the boat and going to Jesus. The reason he sinks is not because it was wrong to get out of the boat. Peter only sinks when his faith wavers. The greatest failure in the story is not Peter, but the rest of the disciples who sat huddled in the boat, still wondering if they were seeing a ghost. Peter's faith may have been weak, but it was much, much stronger than the rest of the bunch. Peter had boldness. All of the disciples got safely to the other shore, but only Peter walked on the water. How much we've missed if we only remember that Peter sank. This is a passage I think of promise. If you respond in faith, to the call of God, you too can walk on water. The lesson, as some have put it, if you want to walk on the water, anybody know the other half of that? you got to get out of the boat. (laughs) We talk so often about wanting to work miracles, to do great things for Christ. But often we want to be able to do that without compromising the comfort and the safety of the boat. We can't have it both ways. Miracles, just by definition, are risky things. They defy the natural order of things. We can't walk on the water without getting out of the boat, without taking a risk. Miracles aren't a result of practical living and common sense. Miracles don't make any sense at all. In fact, none of our faith makes sense to the folks still sitting in the boat. Babies born to virgins don't make sense. Empty tombs don't make sense. Choosing death in order to live doesn't make any sense. Ruling by serving doesn't make sense. Being first by bringing up the rear just isn't how it works. And it sure doesn't make sense to step out of a perfectly good boat at the height of a storm. You don't find me jumping out of airplanes for that same reason. (laughs) I know some people really enjoy that parachute thing, but, you know, a good plane, I'm staying in it. But there stands Jesus outside of the boat, making no sense at all by standing on top of the water that should be sending him down to Davy Jones's locker. He doesn't come to us the way we'd expect, rowing on a boat. He's walking on the water. And instead of leaping into the boat with us and saying, How's it going, guys? He steps outside of the boat, standing on the water, and calls us to come. Jesus never chided the others for staying in the boat. But later, it's Peter to whom Jesus says, you are the rock on which I'll build my church. Maybe that rock thing is why he sank, I don't know. But But Peter is the one, despite his fumbling, despite his failing, the one with the faith to get out of the boat is the one that Jesus said, okay, you, we can build a church with you. Now, I don't need to tell you that New England folks are not known for risk-taking. My father's ancestors came long ago from Scotland, and they were much more likely to bury their talent than invest it in risky endeavors. My mother's family was all swamp Yankee fishermen who had enough horse sense to stay in the boat during a storm. So I want to be clear before I go any farther that I'm not talking about taking risks just for the sake of adventure. That was the temptation, I think, of Jesus in the wilderness when Satan tried to get him to jump off the temple and have the angels dash to his rescue. You're not going to find me bungee jumping, cliff diving, participating in extreme sports, or taking any vacation without at least a 50-50 shot of coming home. This is not about putting what God has given to us in jeopardy as an invitation to God to strut his stuff. Peter does take an incredible risk in getting out of a boat On a dark and stormy night but the key here is he does not put out the first toe until Jesus says come if Jesus is not anywhere near our boat we would be be crazy to get out of it and try to walk on the water we can't do that on our own but when God appears on the scene new possibilities open before us and we listen for the guidance of God and if God says, come, you can take that to the bank. We're not called to be reckless, but we are called to trust. problem is our world doesn't live by trust. Our watchwords today are words like protection, security, safe. Whether it's the government, law enforcement, health care, social programs, or financial investment, we hear those words as organizations describe their goals, and objectives. We must protect our children, make sure Social Security funding is protected. We have safe schools and want to guard our investments. We now have a whole branch of government called Homeland Security. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. But when we let our concerns for security and safety spill over into our faith, our faith vanishes and we sink into the sea. Faith means nothing If it doesn't mean risk faith and trust go hand in hand and that means so do faith and risk because trust is a risky business as we try to teach our children you can tell me that you trust me to hold your money until you're blue in the face but until you've actually turned over the cash and walked away with me holding it in my hot little hands you have not really trusted me And it's the same thing with faith. You can say, oh, I have faith in God, all you want. But until you get out of the boat to actually go where Jesus is calling, it's only so many words and so much hot air. There's nothing more important than God, we say. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, we quote. With God, all things are possible. We shout it again and again as we sit comfortably in our boats calling the ones who get out of the boat foolish and impractical. And we look at those who do get out of the boat and condemn their lack of faith if they start to sink, completely unaware that even as they sink to the bottom of the sea, their faith has been greater than ours. We have no business claiming that we have any faith whatsoever until we've been willing to get out of the boat when Jesus calls. The call of God to all of us is the same now as it ever was. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. We actually see this in the passage from Matthew. At the very beginning, the reason the disciples are getting into the boat is to go to the other side of the lake. Earlier this year, during Lent, I had the opportunity to be in Israel for a while and learned the geography of the Sea of Galilee and the lake. The other side of the lake is the Gentile territory. Every time it talks about Jesus going to the other side of the lake, he's leaving Israel and going to the Gentiles. Think about that in relation to this story. They are in their boat going to the other side of the lake going to take Jesus to take the message to the gentiles. It's the same call now as it was making disciples is the reason that the church exists as an organization if we forget that we cease to be a church and become a cruise liner trying to make sure that the passengers are comfortable and having a good time As each area of your church leadership examines their own role in making disciples, I invite you to consider how Jesus might be calling you, both individually and as a church, to get out of the boat. I understand that as a church, you've wrestled for some time with the issue of, do we stay here in rented space? Do we get our own space and build a church? Getting out of the boat might mean a financial leap to acquire property in a building. But it also might mean braving the road less traveled and following the example of many churches, both small and large, who do highly successful ministry, free of the constraints of costs and property. God might be calling you into either possibility. It's your job to pray and to listen for God's voice. Because it's only when Jesus is calling you out of the boat that you can successfully walk on water. Jesus calls some churches to one kind of ministry and other churches to another kind. If you're not listening, when you get out of the boat, it might be folly and you might sink. Listen for where Jesus is calling you here in this place. Maybe the kind of risk you're called to has more to do with how you do ministry than where you do ministry. Would anybody in Shrewsbury feel comfortable walking in these doors? Sometimes I find we think of ourselves as welcoming all people, but there end up being subtle clues and things that we don't even think about that make some people feel excluded. The new motto, new as of last Wednesday for the Massachusetts Bible Society, is one book, many voices. And in that, we're saying that we're trying to be intentional about listening to the many voices, listening to the many voices that exist in Scripture, but also listening to the many voices who've been excluded from Scripture, and the many voices that interpret Scripture and who hear the words of the Bible from their own cultures, from their own way of life, from their own experiences, and how much we can learn by listening to the many and divergent voices that come to us both in the pages and through the pages of Scripture. Maybe Jesus is standing there outside of the boat and calling to you personally. On Easter Sunday, I finally stepped out of the comfortable boat of pastoral ministry and became the executive director of the Massachusetts Bible Society. The commute is amazing. (laughs) Downtown Boston. It was an incredibly scary step for me, but so far I'm still on top of the water. Now it's only been like 10 days, but but I'm still going. Maybe God is calling you to a new ministry within the church or a new job or a new attitude. I hate it when God calls me to new attitudes. (laughs) It's just really, really difficult. I like my old attitudes. They get comfortable. They're good. Maybe God is calling you to better stewardship of your time, or your money, or the environment. I've just been swapping out all my light bulbs for the CFL things, and they're darker. It's harder harder to see, but for the sake of the environment. Stewardship always seems risky, because we believe that if we give more, there won't be enough left over for ourselves. But I've found that when God directs me to give in whatever way, there's always somehow enough and actually the reality of God's supply is what made a Christian out of my father back in the late 70s we weren't making ends meet as a family my mother ran the finances and she and my father sat down to have a heart-to-heart about the situation and she said to my father you know I think we should start tithing and my father looked at her like she had three heads Like, no, dear. The problem is too little money. Giving more money makes the problem worse. We need more money, not less money. Now, I have no idea how she did it. But my mother somehow managed to convince my father to try for one month giving a tenth of our income to the church. At the end of the month, we were in the black. And my father went over the books again and again and again. The income hadn't changed, they'd given more away, and they'd eliminated the red ink. He was up all night. And finally, somewhere around three or four in the morning, as he tossed and turned, unable to understand this, he called one of the most faith-filled men in our congregation. Four in the morning, poor guy. What do you want? Bob, what do you want? And he said, I want what you have and that man led my father to Christ that night it changed everything it changed my father's life it changed our family's life as he got more involved it changed the church life if you want to walk on the water you got to get out of the boat maybe God is calling you to take what many in New England feel is the scariest step of all to share your faith with somebody else. Has God ever helped you? Has prayer ever made your life just a little more bearable? Have you ever found real comfort in your faith? This week real people here in Shrewsbury and in the surrounding towns are gonna get frightening calls from their doctors. Some will learn that they've lost a job. Some will realize that their family is breaking up Or they might recognize the early signs of Alzheimer's in themselves or in a loved one. Some might ignore their children or exchange some of those hurtful words we talked about earlier and wonder how to make it right. Is it really fair to keep the good news hidden inside a church and hope that whoever needs it will happen to come in? I'm not one to bang people on the head with Bibles or threaten those made in God's image with hell. I don't think that has to be what evangelism is about. But I am one who believes that there's no better way to live life than with God. And my heart breaks for those who haven't figured it out yet. I don't know how I'd have gotten through a lot of the things in my life if I couldn't at least yell at God for, <laughs> for not making them stop. To make disciples is my calling. It's also the calling of the church, and of every church that bears the name of Jesus Christ. If you want to walk on the water, you've got to get out of the boat. A quote that I love says, A ship in a harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. God calls us to set sail. And once we're out on the raging sea, we see God and some new possibilities. And Jesus, crazy Jesus, is out there in the storm, standing on the water and saying, come. Do we dare? God is patient with us when we can't seem to leave the comfort of the boat. But the church was built on Peter, not on the others. Can you hear the voice of Jesus saying, come? If you want to walk on the water, you've got to get out of the boat. Amen. Thanks for subscribing to the sermons. Be sure to visit my website, where there are many more, and some just in text and some in audio, at www.annrobertson.com. The podcasts aren't as regular as they used to be now that I'm not in a local church every week, uh, but I am out a number of Sundays and get them recorded when I can, and will try as I get established in the new job to be able to record some more at home so they're a little more regular. In any case, thank you for subscribing, and I look forward to seeing you in cyberspace. And if you're ever in Boston, drop by the Massachusetts Bible Society at 14 Beacon Street.